Welcome to the Southridge Church Podcast. This week's awesome message will start in a few seconds. But first, we want you to stay connected with us. You can find us on sanjose.cc or subscribe to the podcast. Oh, amen. Can I just thank you for singing that? You say, what do you mean, thank you for singing that? Think about the words we just sang. In all ways, I will trust you. You know how hard that is, really? To just trust God in everything? I know some of you don't know how to pay a bill right now. You got a health crisis. You got a relationship crisis. And you're singing, God, I'll just trust you. Thank you for singing that. Because God wants you to see you can trust him. He is entirely trustworthy. Welcome to Southridge. We're excited that you're here. Thank you for standing. You may be seated. At Southridge Church, we believe each person matters. And we would love to have a record of your attendance here. So if you get a chance, you received a Connect card on your way in. We'd love for you to take a moment, fill out that card. And at the end of the service, when the ushers come forward to receive the offering, you can drop that card in the offering basket. Or you can take it to our Connect tent where we have a gift for you. We'd love to stay connected, get to know you a little bit. Because we do not want to be a friendly church. You say, what do you mean we don't want to be a friendly church? No, no. We want to be a church with friends. We want to know your name, get to know you, find out what's going on, get to know your name, your spouse's name, and your dog's name. We, we really want to, th- thank you so much. Wow. Can we just give it up for our worst team one more time? They are amazing. I'm telling you what. These people are awesome. And we want you to feel connected here at Southridge. We want you to know that we will pray for you. We will show up for you, that we will be there when you're going through something because life is not always easy. And you need to have a church family that is there with you, knows how to pray for you and how to support you. And so that's what we want to be. So we don't want to just be a friendly church. We want to be a church of friends. And so we're glad that you're here. Fill out that card. Maybe you say, hey, I need to take a next step. Next Sunday, I failed to mention this in the first service. We kick off growth tracks. If you're new to Southridge, you say, hey, how do we be a part of this church family? I want to know more. I want to want to really get immersed in this place. Next Sunday, we're going to be doing growth tracks in the second service. This service, we're going to be doing growth tracks. Come back next Sunday. You'll be a part of it. It's going to be great. We're going to have a great time. Well, let's dive into God's word this morning. Take your Bible, if you would, to the book of Matthew, the great book of Matthew, chapter number 28, Matthew 28, first book of the New Testament. So kind of take your Bible and go right to the middle. And we're going to kick off a new series that is entitled Discipleship. Our church has done an amazing job at evangelism. You guys do an amazing job at personal and corporate evangelism, which goes to the heartbeat and the mission statement of our church, leading people to find and follow Jesus. We believe that we want to make San Jose a hard place to go to hell from. Because we know, according to the Bible, that there are two places that we will spend our eternities One is called heaven with God. If we've repented of our sins and received Christ our Savior, we'll spend eternity in heaven. The other is an eternity without Christ in hell. And we believe in these two realities. And we've made it our mission to tell every single person how they can know for sure that heaven will be their eternal home. And our church does this in amazing ways, in creative ways. I got to applaud you for that. But we are dropping the ball. Because our mission statement is leading people to find Jesus. That's great. Check that box. But follow Jesus, the second part of that. And that is a process called discipleship. And that is a unique word, a word we don't often use. But this may be a word you are more familiar with. And it's the word apprenticeship. 
If you start as, as a plumber, electrician, or just about any job, you have to go through an apprenticeship period where you follow somebody, you watch somebody, you ask questions, you may take classes, you are learning how to do the job. 2010, just a few years back, uh, June 14th, 13th, yeah, June 14th. I was at Kaiser right here off of Cottle and Santa Teresa. A nurse had wheeled my wife Jane down to the front where I had the car parked. I opened up my Nissan Altima and I think I had the car seat all installed just right. And there came Jane in a, you know, wheelchair because the hospital does not want you walking out with that baby, even though Jane was perfectly capable of walking out of that hospital. The hospital was like, nope, we want as little liability as possible, so we will wheel you down to the curb. And then Jane hands me this 10-pound baby, and you say, are you sure that is your baby? You do not look like you and Jane would have produced a 10-pound baby. Yes, Megan came out, and our youth group nicknamed her Megatron because she was so big as a little baby. Cute. I love chubby babies. Little Buddha statue. They're cute, man. And uh, the nurse handed me and said, okay, you can take your baby and put her in the car and you guys can go home. And I said, are you coming with us? You know, we could use your help the next couple of years. You know, why don't you, I got room, you know, jump on in. And they said, no, mommy, no, daddy, that's your job. That's your baby. You take it home, you raise it, you feed it, you clothe it, you take care of it and you pay for all its bills. That's what I got to do. You know, when I got home, we were renting a two-bedroom apartment at the time. I didn't take Megan to a room that we did paint. I was like, why are we painting the baby's room? It's an apartment. Just leave it. We're going to move out. Why? No use painting it. But Jane wanted it painted. And it's the first one. So the first one gets a painted room. All right? That would cost me later when we tried to move out. But anyway, for the moment, it was great. That's another story, another sermon for another time. But we walk into that room. It's beautiful. It's painted. It's pink for a baby girl. Man, we got the crib, we got the diaper chaining table. There's even diapers in the diaper chaining table. We even got that cool little thing when it's a stinky diaper. You open up that, you drop that thing in there, it closes, and the smell stays there so the room doesn't stink. We got all the cool stuff. We even have the little thing that goes above her head and a little music and lights and everything. We got the intercom, we got the security camera, we got blankets, we got toys, we got pillows. This room was decked out. And we put Megan in her room, and she's a newborn, a couple days old. I said, Megan, this is your room. She stares up, drool, and said, okay, good luck. If you need us, we'll be watching TV. Have fun. And we closed the door and walked out. You think that's what we did with our newborn? Not on your life. You're like, I am calling Child Protective Services on you what you did 11 years ago. No, Megan is healthy, happy, and thriving because... She was round the clock, 24-7 care. Every couple of hours, she would eat. She would eat. Man, that girl could eat. I would look over at Jane, and she'd be so exhausted. And I'd be like, what's you tired? You know, I'm eating popcorn and chips, and she would just be mad. I was like, you're just feeding a baby. How exhausting thing can that be? Dudes are so ignorant, right? We had no clue what it takes to feed a baby, right? Especially one like a 10-pound baby, like way off the charts, Here's what's amazing. We get that with babies, right? We get that you can't just leave a baby and they're going to grow on their own naturally and turn out healthy and successful. No, if you leave an infant by themselves, they will die. That's what's going to happen. 
We were in Panama a few years ago on a mission trip, and at the hospital, they said, we do not have an orphanage available for children that are born with any handicap. So the hospital in the Panama doesn't feed those babies that mothers abandon. They put them in the crib. Even though the babies are crying and screaming, it'll rip your heart out to know that in third world countries, they don't have a way to take care of babies. And the hospital says, we can't take care of them, and there's no real orphanage system in that country. So they say, yeah, the, the babies that have any handicaps that are abandoned by the families, we don't feed them. Because there's no place to take them. The entire country of Panama. You know, we don't do that here, but you know what the church is really guilty of? A person comes on a Sunday or during the week, they receive Christ for forgiveness of sins. They know that heaven's going to be their eternal home. Their name is written in that Lamb's book of life. And we're like, all right, here's a Bible. Here's our church times. Good luck. I hope you turn out to be a healthy, happy, holy, thriving Christian. And we just ignore them. It's amazing to me that we know not to do that with a baby, but we don't know not to do that with a spiritual baby. You see, there needs to be a process that happens in every person's life, and that process is the process of discipleship, that they need to know what this book says, how do I live the Christian life, how do I even know that I'm spiritually growing? Have you thought about that? Come on, parents, we used to do this with our kids. We stand them up against the, in their bedroom, against the, the, head, the, the door, and you mark their little heads with a pencil, and after we do Cain, you know, Cain, then Austin, Austin, and Megan, and then Jane, Jane, and then Micaiah. Jane and I, we stopped measuring ourselves this way, and now we, and there's only one way we can really grow nowadays. There's no going up anymore. But how does a Christian know that they're growing? You thought about that? You say, I know how I'm growing, because I'm giving more to the church. Oh, really? Is that, is that all there is? I'm serving more at the church. Or I'm doing this, or I'm growing. Really? Is that how you know? You see, the process of the discipleship is really just that. It's how we know how to grow. But it's not just about you growing, it's about helping other people grow. And if you would, take your Bible, Matthew 28. Notice if you would, verse number 18, the Bible says, And Jesus came and spake to them, saying, All power has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things that I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age Amen. If you are a person that underlines or highlights, I would love for you to take your Bible and I would love for you to underline verse number 18, all power. I would love for you to underline in verse number 19, all nations, and then in verse number 20, all things. Jesus is making a point because he keeps using that word all. But yet we see this text, many of you heard this message, uh, uh, or messages preached out of this text, but yet we are failing to grapple with something here that is all about discipleship. Because our city of San Jose is just over one million people. The Silicon Valley is a little over two million people, and the entire Bay Area is about 8.2 million people. Our church, in the month of April, we averaged 212 people in average Sunday attendance. That means if we just say we're here to reach San Jose, we have 999,877 more people to go. Let me ask you a question. How is our church going to reach 999,877 more people? Even if we wanted to, even if they wanted to show up to church this Sunday, how would we reach them? We can't fit 
999,877 people in this room. You say, man, you just preach a lot. We'll just, we'll just pack them in. We'll do service after service after service after service after service. Impossible. You couldn't do it. So why would Jesus then give us a command to go into all the world and make disciples? Isn't it interesting that Jesus is going to give us this command to go and make these disciples? And here's the reality of it. The church can't do it. And that's the point. It's not that God doesn't want us to do it. It's not that he's given us an impossible task. It's that he needs us to understand we can't do it on our own. If you're taking notes, I would love for you to write something down, and that's this. Even Jesus, the son of God, didn't try to change the world on his own. Think about that. That, and I hope that rubs you the wrong way. Even Jesus, the Son of God, didn't change the world on his own. You say, he died on the cross for my sins. Yes, he did that. But think, he still said in verse number 16, the 11 are gathered to him. Now you go into all the world and preach the gospel. And then you can read later on in Acts chapter number, uh, I believe it's six or seven, where it says, and these have come that have turned the world upside down. Within 30 years, they did turn the world upside down. It was a group effort. It wasn't just one. But the church today kind of has a hero complex. We're waiting for one gifted preacher, one gifted evangelist, one gifted man, one gifted woman, one gifted teacher, one gifted worker, and then the world's going to change. When God said, that's not even what I said. He said, I've got all power. I'm giving it to you. Now go and make disciples. Now go, multiply, scatter, reach people. The discipleship process is each one reach one, and then we train them. I went to a church that say they had a team train every available member. They were like, we need to train. We need to apprentice. We need to work on these things. You see, the problem that we have today is we think it's enough to come to church once a week, hear a little message, and as long as we are either A, inspired, or B, fed, we think we're good. And we think it's okay that our only goal is to fill every chair in the church when God did not make that his goal for the church. He did not say fill every chair in the church. He said fill the world with my disciples. That's what he said. So we are either A, ignorant of his command, or B, disobedient to his command. Those are the only two options. And you can no longer be ignorant after this message. It is either a sin of omission or commission. So you and I have a decision to make. Here is Jesus saying, I got all power. We need to go make disciples. That's how we can reach these 999, 788 people. Actually, 999,877 people. That's the only way we can do it is if you and I say, hey, we're going to disciple people. And you say, Pastor, I'm still confused, still hazy on this discipleship thing. First of all, would you write this down if you're taking notes? Discipleship is vital and should go viral in our church. There's a lot of things that go viral, stupid things, cat things. My money doesn't jiggle, it folds. All right, there are little... I thought I had a really trendy church. You guys don't even, you're not even up with it. I thought, come on, raise your hand. Don't leave me hanging. How many of you heard it? Okay, we got a few hip people. We got a few hip people. Man, get on social media more. No, just kidding. Stay off of it. But some of us, the weirdest things go viral, don't they? And some of you may not know that that thing has kind of gone viral. It's really silly. It's really funny. Jane had to show it to me. I'm never on social media. And she said, this is going viral. It's amazing the, the useless things that go viral. 
But yet the one thing that is vital is not going viral, and that's discipleship. That's me saying with another brother or another person in Christ saying, hey, let's walk together and let's encourage one another how to be better at being Christians. Let's iron sharpen iron. Let's help one another do a good job at being dads, being husbands, being men of God, being people of integrity. Because there's a whole lot of people that want your marriage to fail, that want your parenting to fail, that want your character corrupted as a man of God. And yet we've got to stand up and say, wait a minute, who's there helping each other in the trenches, discipling them, mentoring them, apprenticing them. And our church has to step it up in this area. I'm calling us out of our apathy and saying, hey, this is the next level that our church needs to go. We've got evangelism down. Check the box. Don't stop evangelizing. But as we evangelize, remember, there's a second step to the process. We don't leave the baby in the nursery. We watch them grow. We watch them develop. And that's where the excitement comes in. Because now I'm watching Megan. She's 11 years old. And you can put Megan in a kitchen. And man, she will just start shaking and baking and making things. And we come back and boom, there's dinner. And I'm like, who made it? Did Jane make it? Did we grub hub it? She's like, no, I made it. And I was like, are you kidding me? Amazing. She's just on her own. Why? Because Jane has discipled, apprenticed her so she can go in the kitchen with a recipe and she knows how to make a meal. What about with a Christian where you spend time with them where they know now how to have a good marriage, how to be a godly testimony, how to evangelize, how to keep their character in a world that wants to corrupt it. You see, we, we struggle today with just keeping our own. You know, if the church would just hang on to who we reach, we would keep growing. But here's what's happening. It's like you're trying to bail water or put out a fire, but you're using a bucket with a bunch of holes in the bottom of it. So by the time you get to that fire to put it out, that five-gallon bucket's got a couple drops. And we're trying to fight hell's fire with just a couple drops because everybody's leaking out of our bucket because we're not keeping everybody because we're not discipling people. And here's what happens when we don't disciple people. They don't understand what they're called to out of this book. There's a lot of people that don't even look at this book as any authority in their life. They look at this, this, what we do and how we assemble, and they don't understand the meaning that it has, the power that it has. And they don't understand what God is calling us to, that he's calling us not to just fill the chairs, but to fill the world with disciples. You see, in Ephesians 1.19, Jesus he talks about some power that he has. I, I, I'm amazed that with all the power Jesus had, he said, all power in heaven and in earth. That's a lot of power. I mean, think about the power that we have right now on earth. All of the nuclear power, the coal power, power, the solar power. But then we have political power. Then you have social power. You have financial power. You have political power. There's a lot of power on this planet. And when Jesus says all power, he's saying, hey, it's all mine. I did a little search ranking this morning. I said, who are the most powerful people on the planet? The number one kind of scared me a little bit. Because right now, Forbes has listed Xi Jinping, the president of China, is the most powerful person in the world. You say, man, I would think it would be the president of the United States. <laughs> Please don't make me go there. You say, well, he made number two, right? He made number two. No, he didn't. Who did? Forbes had Elon Musk. You say, well, our president made number three, right? No, Putin beat him. He's not even at four because the other guy beat him. The orange man beat him. He's pretty low as far as power. And we got to understand, the world has a lot of power. But guess what, folks? Jesus said, I take all that power and all of heaven's power, and I use it for one thing. Think about that. He doesn't solve world hunger. doesn't wipe away every disease. He says, if my disciples will get this thing, 
about loving God and loving their neighbors, you will change the world. That's his plan is you and I. No more hero complex. It's you and I linking arms with brothers and sisters in Christ saying, hey, we're going to disciple one another and you're going to disciple. And this process is just going to keep on going. You're going to teach me how to be better. I'm going to teach you how to be better. And that's what's going to happen. That's why unity in the church is so big. And it's so easy for Satan to cause disunity because we're disunified. We can't disciple because discipleship involves this unity. But Jesus, he calls us to something. And he tells us this, that what I've called you to, you can't do on your own. You cannot disciple on your own. You can't. It's intentional that you find somebody else. Say, I'm going to disciple this person, this new Christian. I'm going to sit down with them. You say, I don't have all the answers. Don't worry about it. Just start somewhere. Start in the book of John. Say, hey, let's just read a book of the Bible together. Hey, do this. Buy a Bible that has a red letter edition. Say, hey, let's you and I, every time we meet, we're going to talk about life, talk about marriage, talk about work. We're going to talk about uh, sports. We can talk about all that, but then we're going to spend a minute and we're going to read all the red in this book. Just Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. We're just going to read the red. And then we're going to do what it said. That's pretty good. Read the red and just do what it said. If we would just do that, the world would be a radically different place. But as Christians today, we don't understand the power in getting together with another believer and that iron sharpening iron, how we can do so much more. I shared with the church today, uh, the, the volunteers earlier this morning, that in Jesus' day, and even farmers, if you go to Pennsylvania where the Amish are, they'll still use something. It's called a yoke. And you will see them out there with maybe a pair of Belgian draft horses, or you'll see them out there with some cattle. And those, those cattle are yoked together, and they've got this wooden yoke that's put on the cattle. And together they pull together. You see, Jesus wants you doing life not alone, but pulling together. He wants you to see something accomplished. But yet Christians that leave and live in isolation are easily influenced by Satan. And if you and I continue to stay isolated, we're easy pickings because what does the devil want to do? He's roaming about looking whom he can devour. And if you're alone, you're easy pickings. So we've got to get back to saying, hey, where's the new Christians at? They can't be alone. They're just coming off of something. They're just working through something. Don't leave them alone. Let me text them. Let me call them. Hey, I didn't see you on Sunday. You need to be in church. You're not strong enough to stand on your own yet. Come on. Uh, we'll go out to lunch afterward. But the church has lost sight of discipleship. We just think, hey, here's your room. Here's your church. Here's your Bible. Here's your Sunday school class. God bless and good luck. As the devil with all of his forces is like, I'm going to go after the weak ones right now. I mean, think about it. You and I are actually kind of blessed that we're still here. You know how many Christians have come and gone through Southridge? I'll let you know. Would it surprise you that it's over 15,000? 15,000 people have come through our doors. That's how many people are in our database. 15,000 people. Where are they at? What happened? I'm looking at a room and God bless each and every one of you. You're near and dear to my heart. But there's 80 of us. The other service, probably another 80, actually a few more, probably 90, closer to 100. Where are the others? Immediately be real easy to fixate on that big number. Where do the 15,000 go? I'll tell you, part of it has to do with discipleship. The other part is Matthew 7. Many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in thy name, done many mighty miracles? And Jesus will say, depart from me, for I never knew you. There are people that think they're on their way to heaven, but are actually on their way to hell. How scary a thought. 
How scary a thought. How do you know that you're in the family, that you are saved? Discipleship will help you to know that. Discipleship will get you grounded in your faith. Discipleship will help you to understand that life is filled with trial and tribulations, that you're going to be offended, not just by the world. You're not just going to have trials and tribulations in culture and society. But yes, even Christians, even pastors, they will offend you, step on your toes and bother you. And in those moments, you're going to have to say, am I a disciple? Or am I just, no, I'll go where it's easy. Or my person says, no, I'm a disciple. You see, becoming a disciple is birthed out of devotion. But to continue a disciple, you're going to need discipline. Notice if you would, verse number 17, it says, when they saw him, this is the 11 disciples, when they saw him, they worshiped him. They worshiped the one that was calling them to be disciple makers. They were worshiping him. They said, we love Jesus. He died on a cross for us. He spent six hours in agony with thorns in his brow, with the Roman spear pierced into his side, through his rib cage, into his heart, piercing his heart, the, the, the spear turning and pulling out, watching as blood and water comes from his side. As they mocked him, they beat him. His body was unrecognizable and he was naked, hanging on that cross for me. They looked at him and they said, this is Jesus. He's calling me to be a disciple. And their first reaction is, I got to worship him. The word worship in the Greek means to prostrate, means to be like a dog. When a dog sees you, you know what a dog does? It gets down on all fours. You know, dogs are amazing creatures. You know, dogs look at you and they think you're God. They do. You can put your dog in the trunk of your car. You can leave it there for a long time. You can open the trunk of your car. Your dog jumps out. Do you know what your dog will do? Lick your face. You can put your wife in the trunk of your car. And what will she do? Just kidding. Don't do it. Don't do it. Dogs look at you and they think you're God. They're like, you feed me, you take care of me, you watch over me, you walk me, you must be God. Cats, on the other hand, they, you feed them, you watch over them, and they think, you feed me, you watch over me, you pet me, I must be God. There's a total different mentality when it comes to dogs and cats, all right? Total different mentality, totally. But these disciples said, hey, we will prostrate ourselves before Jesus because we are going to worship you. We don't care that we look like a dog to you. And Jesus is saying, hey, I'm calling you to become disciples. And they said, excellent, we will follow you out of devotion. You know, everybody gets into a relationship out of devotion. That's emotion. That's where a relationship starts. But for any relationship to continue and thrive, there must be discipline. And a disciple at its crux, at its core, in its DNA is discipline. But we have lost the discipline in disciple. We've lost the discipline in knowing how to be true to this book in knowing how to say, hey, times will be difficult, but even when times are difficult, I will say, hey, I will trust you. I will follow you, God. I will keep on going. I'm not going to back down. I'm not going to give up. I'm not going to walk away. I'm not going to be easily offended. I will continue to love and forgive and serve as Christ did. Think about it. In the book of Galatians, Jesus says he took upon him the form of a servant. And he humbled himself. Amazing. That our God was willing to humble himself 
to the form of a servant. The word servant is the Greek word doulos. Doulos means slave. A servant and a slave are two totally different things. A servant got a wage, was taken care of. A slave was property. No rights. Some rights, no rights. Jesus said, I take no rights. But then here, here we come. Man, I've been holding off, church. Y'all had Easter. You had Mother's Day. I had to be nice. I had to preach encouraging. I had to be loving. The gloves are off today. It is time where we understand that we are called to be disciples. And if somebody offends us, then we say, God, I'm going to forgive them. God, I'm going to love them. They can have a bad day too. Guess what? They're going through some stuff too. I can forgive them. I can cover it with love. I'm a disciple of Jesus Christ. So when life gets hard, I don't quit on Christ because I have discipline in my life. I have the discipline to show up to church. I have the discipline to read my Bible. I have the discipline to love my spouse, the discipline to raise my children. Even when life gets hard, I will be disciplined. We've lost that in the church. Where did the 15,000 people go? They lacked the discipline to remain as a disciple, even though they should have continued, but they still needed somebody to walk alongside of them. It's a whole lot easier when life is hard that somebody walks that journey with them. It says, I know it's hard. Rest on me. I will carry you. We will walk through this and we will get through this together. We have got to become a disciple making church. We cannot do this on our own. We will never reach 999,877. And I know what some of you are thinking. Well, I could care less. Let that sit for a second. And I'm going to ask the Holy Spirit to just weigh that on your conscience for a second. You are okay with 999,877 souls spending eternity in the lake of fire and suffering to be separated from God forever. You're okay with that. Jane and I, in 2013, since the call to plant Southridge Church. I'm a pastor's kid. I served on staff at a church on the east side. But we sent a call to plant a church. At the time, you could Google search, and there were 2,800 churches in San Jose in a Google search. At the time. People would ask me, why do you want to start another church? I don't know. God just gave me this call. And some people said, he must really love San Jose. I like San Jose. I do love San Jose. But that's not why we started the church. I love God. And I want to obey and please him. That's why we planted the church. Eight years of sacrifice, tears, blood, sweat, and tears, toil. People thinking things about you. Think, people thinking you have mixed motives. All kinds of things. Everything happens. All this stuff happens. And it'd be really easy to just give up if devotion wasn't enough. And there were times devotion ran short. There was not enough devotion to deal with your problems. There just isn't sometimes. And there are times where you have to say, God, I don't have devotion. But I got discipline. And discipline is what's getting me up to get me back into it, to get back on my knees. Say, God, I need you this morning. God, I got to have you today. God, this is your church, and your church needs to learn it's okay for a disciple to be disciplined. 
It's okay for us to say, you know what? We can get some habits and say, Lord, it's going to be a part of my habit that I pray. It's going to be a part of my habit that I read the scripture because we've got to reach these 999,877 people. And it's going to start because I'm going to go find somebody who doesn't have a buddy. And I'm going to say, hey, you and me, let's meet on a Tuesday. Let's drink some coffee. Let's grab a donut. Let's open the Bible. Let's talk about our relationship. Let's talk about our marriages. Let's talk about our jobs. Let's talk about sports. But then let's pray. Let's encourage one another. And let's... Hold each other accountable. Part of the problem is we can only impress from a distance, but you can only impact up close. And we would rather impress people than impact people. And we've been really good with the facade Christianity, that we want to look like we got it all together. When some of us have the most jacked up Christian lives. And I'm telling you, I know that you hate that hypocrisy. I know that you hate that jacked up Christian life. But if you would get in discipleship, if you would get some other battle buddy, because that's what they called in the military, a battle buddy by your side and say, I am walking through a fire right now. And I don't like what's going on. I need to fix it, but I don't know how. And somebody else can come alongside in that discipleship process and help you with prayer, help you with scripture, help you with life-giving words. Maybe sometimes it's simply just buying you a meal or slipping you 20 bucks. Sometimes we just need that and that's what discipleship does but we as christians have lost sight of it becoming a disciple is birthed out of devotion but only continues by discipline our devotion is godward the dna of a disciple is commitment they say never volunteer in the military i've heard a lot of friends that have gone in the military and they said in basic training you never volunteer. If the drill sergeant asks you anything, eyes down, don't make eye contact, and do not raise your hand, and do not volunteer. One time I was talking to a friend of mine, and he said he was, volu- he was, he was uh, uh, at Army basic training, and they said, who's got a driver's license? And a bunch of guys were like, yes. If I don't have to do PT and I can just drive some trucks, sign me up. I got a driver's license. And they said, excellent. All you who said you got a driver's license, see those shovels? Drive those shovels into that dirt and dig a hole. The rest of you, go get chow. And he said, I learned real quick, don't volunteer. You know, it's amazing we do that in the church. Hey, we need nursery workers. Ah, don't volunteer. I don't change no diapers. Ah, we need people on the worship team. Ah, no, 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 I don't. Hey, we need people to do this. No, 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 no. We need volunteers here, 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 here. And the church, we don't want to volunteer. Summer 2005, I would pay my own way through college. And so the summer times where I would work to really earn the money to pay for the next semester, but I felt led to travel with a youth evangelism for that summer. So summer of 2005, I flew to Chicago. And in Chicago, we had training for what would be the next 12 weeks of my summer. I would travel to different churches in different states and different cities. And we would host a vacation Bible school for a church. We'd put on programs. We'd do puppets. We'd do all kinds of skits, everything. You name it, we did it. It was the best time. It was the most exhausting time, but you would start first thing in the morning. You go till late at night, and it was just every day. Your only day off was really half of Saturday, and we did that all summer long. Well, I was partnered up with a guy from Memphis, Tennessee. His name was Brandon, and we were sitting in our training in Paxton, Illinois, and we were in a little old hospital that had been run down and abandoned, and this guy was renting this thing. We were staying in some of the creepiest rooms. I was like, you know people have been dying in this place. I was like, this is, this is creepy. And then it was more like an insane asylum, but this place was just nuts because of the doors. Oh, man, just three weeks there was like, get us out of here. I'd rather sleep outside. It was just crazy. 
But man, we went through training. One time we're eating, eating lunch and the director comes in. He says, hey guys, I need your attention while you're eating. Keep eating lunch. I got to read a letter. There's a church in Shelbyville, Tennessee. This church says they don't have enough money to pay for some guys to fly out there. They don't have a place for you to even sleep when you get there. They don't have even enough finances to pay and get you food while you're there. It's a struggling church. Who wants to go? I was just eating my stroganoff. I'm not looking up. I'm just going to keep on eating. Don't make eye contact. Just eat this stroganoff. I don't even know if it was stroganoff, but I was like, I'm just going to eat it. And then my buddy, he kind of kicks me under the table. And he looks at me and he says, do you want to know what my favorite college football team name is? I was like, no, I don't want to know. Because I knew he was from Tennessee. And any of you sports fans know exactly Tennessee football their team name is the Tennessee Volunteers. And he says, I got to live up to my name. And he stands and he's like, and I was like, sit your butt down. We ain't doing jack. We ain't going to no Shelbyville, Tennessee. We don't want to go there. They got nothing for us to eat, nowhere to stay. We might as well stay right here in this little insane hospital. And he's like, no, man, we got to go. And I was like, you can go by yourself. I do not feel the Lord calling me there. But we went anyway. And yet we showed up and it was everything that that pastor had written in that letter. There were nobody. It was a struggling church. We would take a 15-passenger van out into the sticks and there might be a mobile home. Sometimes it had power. Sometimes these mobile homes didn't even have power. This was the sticks, y'all. And man, we'd be out there and we'd be knocking on doors, inviting people to come to church. And people would come from all around because it was a small little town of Shelbyville, Tennessee. They had nothing going on. They would show up to the youth crusades. And man, teens were getting saved left and right. We had the fire department show up on our water night. It became a town event. Everybody came out, and we had a mini little revival in Shelbyville, Tennessee in the summer of 2005, all because a couple of guys said, we will volunteer, and God does miracles when you say, hey, I'm a disciple. I don't mind if it gets a little bit hard. I don't mind if it gets a little bit tough. If Jesus can take a cross and walk up to Golgotha from me, the least I can do is serve him in return because my devotion started this thing, but my discipline will see it through, and we've got to get beyond just devotion Christians to disciplined Christians where we are disciplined to do what God is calling us to do where I don't need to rely on the pastor to text me to write me that I do the right thing because the Holy Spirit's inside of me reminding me walking with me showing me and guiding me what is right amen thank you I'm glad one person man we got we got two disciples in this room thank you Jesus come on I said it in the first service, and I'll say it in this service. Some in this room will get it right now. You're, man, you're, you may not have to be like on your seat, amen, but you, you, you're dialed in. You know what's going on. You're getting it. And some of you aren't because you understand the cost of discipleship. You understand that this is going to cost something. That Jesus, he doesn't just ask something from you. He says everything. To the rich man, he said, sell all that you have and give to the poor and come follow me. There is a cost to be a disciple. Don't vow a vow if you're going to defer to pay it. You're not even allowed to say it anymore. So if this gets bad comments or offensive, please, this is what we used to say. I don't say it anymore. We would call you an Indian giver. Do you remember that? Remember that? I don't think we're supposed to say it anymore, but we used to say that. If you gave something, you took it right back. 
Jesus on Sunday, my heart is yours. On Monday, oh no, she's fine. Give me my heart back. Oh no, I want that money. Give me my heart back. Oh no, I got invited to this party. I got this opportunity. Give me my heart back. Wait, hold on. Did you not give all? If you're asking for it back, you never truly gave it away. Let me just tell you that right now. Don't be that person that says, oh man, I gave it. I, man, when I was a teenager, I gave everything to Jesus. No, you didn't. Look at you now. Apparently not. Apparently there was some part of your life where you said, Jesus, you can have this, this, and this, but I'm giving this back. St. Ignatius of Antioch said this. He said, I am a disciple of Jesus. You can cut me up and chop me to little pieces and every bit of my heart will say, Jesus Parts of us say, my job's got me, my spouse got me, my kids got me. I know that's hard, isn't it? It's hard because Jesus is saying, you can have but one love. Thou shalt have no other idols before me. None. You may have the desire for a godly marriage, but God is saying, hey, you cannot idolize your husband or your wife. You must idolize me. You must worship me. You can have nobody else. A disciple said, it is only Jesus. We used to sing a hymn. And this hymn would say simply but powerfully, look full in his wonderful face. And the things of this earth will grow strangely dim. What happened today is we don't know how to look at his face. You see, a disciple understands that we are called to something different. I'm out of time, but verse number 20 says, teaching them to observe all things that I've commanded you. May I ask you a question? Jesus said, teach them all things that I've commanded you. Teach who? These new disciples, teach them all. Teach them to observe all things that I've commanded you. How long did Jesus spend with his disciples? Three and a half years. How long does it take some take to teach somebody? Everybody's different. Some of you are a quick study. You pick it up like that. Some of you are like me. No. <laughs> I need the class. I need a reminder. I need hands-on learning. I need, I need help. I'm slow. The hair's blonde. That's going to take me some time. But we in the church, you know what we like? We like a discipleship class. Oh, can't we have a discipleship class? Can I tell you what that really is? That is us simply saying, I don't really want to walk this journey with this person because it could be a commitment of the next three and a half years of my life. So throw them at a 12th week class, give them a certificate, and call them a disciple, and bam, if they don't make it, well, it's not on us. I wash my hands of the whole thing. that's what churches do nowadays oh go to our discipleship class you haven't been in discipleship class you need to go to discipleship class spend time in our discipleship class Jesus 
These disciples knew what Jesus was talking about. He, they never once thought when Jesus said make disciples, they were like, excellent, let's go to Lifeway, let's get a curriculum, let's get a little place in the Sanhedrin, we can have a class, we'll sit in a circle, you bring donuts, you bring coffee, you'll be the worship leader, we're gonna have discipleship class. And you're gonna go to Antioch, you're gonna go to Ephesus, you're gonna go to Corinth, you're gonna go to Greece, you're gonna go to Rome, and we're gonna have these little discipleship classes. The disciples knew he was not talking about a class. They knew that what they were being called to was going to take them time and they didn't know how much time it was going to take because every person's different. They just knew, I'm going to go through life with you. I'm going to walk through you, life with you. If there's a trial, if there's a storm, I'm just in it with you. And Jesus illustrates this point in John 3, verse number 22. It's a simple passage. It says, then Jesus and his disciples left Jerusalem, went into the Judean hillside. Jesus spent time with them there, baptizing people. The little phrase, Jesus spent time with them there. It's one of those passages of scripture that just kind of, just, it's like flyover country. You don't even think about it. You know the power in those little words? You see, the power in those words is what discipleship is all about. Because that verse is discipleship. Because the Greek word diatribo. You say, what's that mean? It means to rub off. Growing up, my parents would come to me and they would say, Kai, I don't want you hanging around that guy because he's not a very good guy. We don't want him rubbing off on you. Jesus, when he spent time, he was rubbing off on his disciples. You see, Jesus' goal is that you and I rub off on one another. See, growing as a disciple depends on who you get around. Growing as a disciple depends on who you get around. I know I'm out of time. Bear with me. I need to illustrate this point. In 2007, I worked at Eastside at a Christian school. Some of the people here, they went to that Christian school. They had a teacher. He was the history teacher. He was a, he was a big guy, probably like 6'5", but just a big dude. I mean, just a big dude. And everybody was just small. I mean, they were my size, right? We're just small people, right? Little ants compared to Goliath, you know? They're just walking around, you know? But, but his name was Mr. B. And Mr. B would go down the aisles, and he would kind of look over, kind of bend over just a little bit and just help a student. Well, every time he would, he didn't know because I saw him later in the day. And it was like, bro, you got like weird threads in the back of your khaki pants. He's like, what do you mean weird threads? I was like, I'm just... I'm not trying to be weird or nothing. I just hate to see you walking around with all these like threads. Just from a distance, it looked like red threads hanging from his khakis. And as I got closer, I was like, oh, those aren't threads. Those are pen marks. It's like, bro, what toilet put pen marks on the backside of your pants? Apparently, the class he was in, he'd walk by and he would help the student. And the kids thought it was funny to put a pen mark there rub off on him a little bit mark him up a little bit and he was like are you kidding me those kids they're all getting detention you know today people encounter Christians and they are typically rubbed the wrong way by Christians truth be told because we can be obnoxious demanding and I know we have bad days. I'm not trying to say you're supposed to be Jesus. You and I will never be Jesus. Jesus didn't ask you to be Jesus. He said, be you. He's Jesus enough for all of us. 
But in that moment, Jesus is saying, I'm going to rub off on you. And you and I, we need to rub off on one another. That's what he's calling us to. To diatribo, that we are just rubbing off on one another. We're just positively influencing one another, that they are just getting more. So when people spend time with you, they should be like, man, I think I'm better for that interaction. I think my life was helped because of that person. When you go buy a coffee, when you buy your groceries, when you say hello to somebody, you should make their day better because that's what a disciple does. But then there's those people you spend more time with. You say, hey, let's rub off on one another. Let's help us do this Christian life the right way. It's a struggle. It's hard. And so we need help to do it the right way. But yet, we live in a world where we'd rather keep people out of arms distance. Send them to a class. And let somebody else worry about the 999,870 people instead of us. Or we can say, you know what? It's like the penny a day compounded every day for the next 30 days. Would you rather get $10,000 or a penny a day compounded every day for the next 30 days? And the answer is the penny. Compounded every day for the next 30 days is far more thing of disciple making and is it really hard that we spend time with people that we care about saying hey man, let's get better at being husbands let's get better at being men women wives mothers let's hang out you say that's what small groups for pastor now this is something different jesus discipled 12 but yet he had three that he spent a lot of time with, Peter, James, and John. The deeper you want to go, the fewer people you need to be with. That's the truth. The more people, the broader the influence and the less depth. This Sunday morning gathering is good, but this is not enough, church. I'm calling our church to go to the next level. We are called to lead people to find and follow Jesus. That means you go find somebody and say, hey, are you saved? Who's discipling you right now? Let's hang out. Let's do this thing. You say, I don't have a curriculum. I don't know what to say. Good. Then you're going to pray, God, I need your help. I'm discipling this person. I don't even know what that means. So let's just start in the book of John. And man, let's just go through John. We'll just talk to John. And after John, we'll go to Mark. And after Mark, go to Luke. We'll go to Matthew. We'll just keep going and going and going. And God will speak and the Holy Spirit will show up. And we'll start seeing our lives change. And one day, you're going to go find somebody else. You're going to be like, hey, I'm discipling somebody else. Here you do this thing. He said, I don't have enough time for that, Pastor. Then do what I do. I bring somebody along. The other day, Doug thought I was bringing him along because I wanted him to go to lunch with me. Doug's cool and all, but that wasn't why I wanted him to come along. Because I had to disciple somebody else. Sometimes I love people, but people can be draining. So I bring somebody else who can help carry the load. I said, Doug, want a free lunch? Just know there's no such thing as a free lunch with me. I'm getting something from you, all right? Just know that. Just know if I'm inviting you out, we about to do something, all right? And it was ministry. And it was so cool because I just leaned back and Doug and this other guy just took it. And I was like, this is awesome, man. I love discipling. I don't even know what's happening. I'm like, yeah, this is awesome. Because Doug just started talking about Jesus. And you see two other people talking about Jesus. And guess what? That other person hadn't been in church in a while and they were back in church. Why? Because... Doug rubbed off on him in a good way. 
Man, he doesn't just rub the bass guitar player right. Man, he, he knows how to, how to rub off in a good way on people. That's what a disciple does. They get around people and say, hey, I'm going to help make your life better. Because a lot of us have friends that don't make us better. And let's be honest. Let's be honest. I know we got to go. I know we got to go. But this might be a word for some of you. Some of you have a relationship that is what's rubbing off on you is not good. And you know it. And the Holy Spirit right now is convicting you of it. And you need to repent of it. You need to put a guard and you need to stop that. And you just say, God, that relationship takes me places, does things that I'm gonna, I need to put aside. Because it's not leading me closer to you. And I got to get closer to you. Man, we've gone over time. All right, let's stand. We have communion. I've gone over. And it's hot. Heavenly Father, Lord, we need you. God, if we don't get discipleship now, we can't just be a church that just thinks we can inspire people into the kingdom. I'm all for inspiration. We can't just motivate people. We can't just give enough free stuff away. God, we have got to get to the point where we meet with people on a regular and disciple them, help them grow, help them get rooted and planted. And so, Father, I pray that you'd help our church. We need you. Pray this in Jesus' name. Would you stay standing for me? We're going to partake in communion just a moment. But what a perfect time to think about communion. There is no better time than when thinking about discipleship that we can actually partake of communion. Communion is simply a picture that we as a body, a family, that we partake of these elements because they represent Jesus' blood and his body. His blood that was shed and his body that was broken. And as we think of a disciple, a disciple is committed, is devoted to Jesus. And so in just a moment, we're going to come forward and we're going to partake of communion. When we partake of communion, understand, church, that this is not saving salvation. This is a memorial. This is a time we just remember his sacrifice. I know Easter was just four Sundays ago, but it's never too soon to be grateful for his sacrifice. It's never too soon. I've never met a person who said, I'm just encouraged too much. I'm just, people just say thank you too much. We could say thank you, Jesus, for the rest of our life and it would still never be enough. So this is the moment for the church. I'm going to invite the worship team to play. And as the worship team plays, I'll invite you to the front and partake of the elements and take them back to your seat. Once everybody's gone through and gone back to their seat, then we'll take all the elements together. So worship team, would you start us out? And then I'm going to invite you to come forward and receive the cup and the bread. Worship team, can we sing together? Thank you again for spending time with us today. And a special thanks to those who give generously to Southridge Church. It is because of you that this ministry is possible. And if you want to learn more about Southridge, you can follow us on social media at Southridge Now. If you enjoyed the podcast, you can subscribe or share it with a friend or even take a screenshot and share it on your social story. Make sure you tag Southridge Church and let it be a blessing to somebody else. Thank you again and we'll catch you on the next one.